Well, tonight we're going to finish up this chapter. In the end of this chapter, um, I'm not sure exactly what page. I think it's about two or three pages towards the end of the of it. Um, I start dealing with the topic of faith uh, for a reason, and that is that when we come to Holy Spirit and His activity in our lives, we talked two weeks ago about that, about how Holy Spirit works, uh, that He doesn't come in and overshadow your uh, will. He doesn't uh, go where He's not invited, nor does He work where He isn't surrendered to, that He acknowledges And the very passage of Scripture that says, do not uh, quench him, do not resist him, uh, instruct us in that, and and that we can diminish his work in our life. And so for those that want to hold that his work is irresistible, we find a lot of Scripture that makes it very evident that's not the case. And so there's there's a cooperative relationship there between us and Holy Spirit. And so if we're not... Um, surrendered to him, if we're not in an environment in which he can work in our life, uh, he won't work. And it will be it'll be almost feeling like he's not even there. He'll be so, he can be so subdued, he can be so uh, resisted and quenched that it, it, you might even question if he's even present. Um, if you go up to a thermometer and there's no Nothing showing on the thermometer. You might think, well, is this thermometer broken? Well, not if you are in an environment that's lower than the lowest degree on the thermometer, right? That just means you're in a really cold environment. So rather than asking the question, is God in me, uh, which is a valid question to ask. You should ask that. Um, But also the question is, am I allowing him to work in my life? And that's really a question for both Problems. So if you're questioning, well, do I have Holy Spirit at all? Well, what environment have you invited him in? Have you humbled yourself for God? Have you repented? Have you trusted in Christ? Because that is the basis of his uh, arrival in your life, of his, of his uh, presence there. And then his, his ministry, his work in your life is related to your surrender to him. And so am I walking in the Spirit? Am I Am I um, ministering in the Spirit? Am I uh, growing in the Spirit? Are these the evidences in my life? Am I really uh, giving Him liberty to work in my life? And if you don't give Him that liberty, if you can find one little room uh, in your life and not give Him access to your house, that's the illustration we used a couple weeks ago, if you you just confine Him there, He'll stay there. Uh, If you don't... If you lock him in that room, in that closet, um, and don't want him to have access to the rest of your life, uh, he'll stay there. He'll wait for you to open the doors to allow him in. Uh, he doesn't bash the doors down. And Jesus Christ says, I stand at the door and knock. That means he's waiting for an invitation to come in. It's not that he is going to um, break down the door and come into your life. Uh, that's just an erroneous teaching of Holy Spirit. So we talked about that last two weeks ago and the, how we relate to him. Um, when we talk about what is it that diminishes the Holy Spirit's work in our life, uh, we often talk two weeks ago about, well, we are in this environment where there is sin, there's rebellion, there's, there's uh, disobedience, 
and that is true. Uh, those do diminish his work in our life. They, they quench him. The, the obedience is that which feeds him. But there's another element that we didn't get to. And this is kind of an important element in this study. It probably deserves a lot more time than I gave it in this chapter. And that is the element of our faith. Do we trust him to work? Now, when we come to this, uh, the challenge is, well, uh, does Holy... Let me back up here a second. When we look at the gospel record of Jesus' ministry, hopefully we're well aware that his ministry finds him dependent upon Holy Spirit. And that is why it says the Spirit of God came upon him at his baptism, uh, that descended upon him, and it's from his baptism on that we really have him ministering. And he ministered not by his own divinity, but by the divineness of Holy Spirit in him is the means by which he ministered. So all of those miracles that we attribute to Jesus Christ we find that his, his uh, understanding was that, and his teaching was that, they, I'm doing this by the power of Holy Spirit. Um, because he became fully man. As Jesus Christ is fully man, uh, he humbled himself, emptied himself, and we saw that in that chapter on Jesus Christ. He emptied himself as divine prerogatives. And therefore, he wasn't doing it by his own divine power, he was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, how do you really know that? Well, we know that by the fact that Jesus Christ said, if when he had performed a miracle, they said, oh, he doesn't do that by the power of God. He does that by the power of Beelzebub, of Satan. So they attribute the work of God to Satan. So the question is, which person of deity is doing the work of the miracles? Right? Is it the Father, is it the Son, or is it the Spirit? And so because they said he is not doing it by the work of God, but they didn't identify which person of the deity, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm sorry, by the power of Beelzebub. That was their accusation against Jesus. And Jesus does it, then responds to them. He says, listen, we'll forgive you of a lot of things. God will forgive you of a lot of things. Isn't that good? That's a great line, you know. You, you can be forgiven of pretty much everything. And this is where we have the unforgivable sin listed in Scripture. Jesus says, I'll forgive you of, every, of, of anything, but if you blaspheme who? Holy Spirit, that will not be forgiven. Now, the context of that statement was these people saying, the miracles you're doing are not by the power of God, but the power of Beelzebub, of Satan. So if Jesus was doing these miracles by his own power, by the power of the Father, he wouldn't have made that statement. His statement was, when you say that what I'm doing is by the power of Satan, that blasphemy is not directed at me, it's not directed at the Father, it's directed at the Holy Spirit. So it's through Holy Spirit that he was doing these miracles, and what they were doing is attributing the work of Holy Spirit to Satan. He says, that won't be forgiven you. You can't, that, that is blasphemy against Holy Spirit to say that well, he's doing this work, and it's really the work of Satan. And so 
Uh, we want to be really cautious in this realm of a, what do we attribute to the Holy Spirit and what do we attribute to the powers of darkness. And so we want to make sure of that, and that's why we tread so carefully and lightly uh, with those people that are involved in, in revelatory gifts and charismatic. We're not going to just declare broadly that this is the work of Satan um, because that's what the enemies of Christ said about him. Uh, the Spirit has the right and power to work as he chooses in lives, and I have to be very careful. But also we recognize that the God of this age is at work in people as well, and he works as an angel of light. That is, he mimics or he uh, usurps uh, things that look like the power of God. And so there has to be a lot of discernment, a lot of careful investigation before we go in that route of saying, well, this isn't God at work, this is man at work or Satan at work. Uh, so it's not invalidating that, it just gives you great caution in that, in that activity. But what we ins are instructed in is that Jesus Christ was ministering by the power of Holy Spirit. So why is that? I have to lay that foundation. Why do I have to lay that foundation? Because the premise of faith is that Jesus Christ on many occasions was limited in what he could do, which means he was the Spirit of God was limited in what he could do based upon people's faith, right? So he says, I couldn't do very much in Nazareth. Why couldn't Jesus do much in Nazareth? Because they didn't believe in him. They did not have faith in him. And, uh, and by the way, it goes the other direction too. So we have many times where it says he could not do much here, because of their lack of faith. And, and so he, he calls a, a curse upon a few places in north of Galilee, uh, and those places today are still kind of cursed. They're just, the one place is all black stone, and, and you go and visit it, and God cursed those places. If the things that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. Uh, and so but he says they were limited by his faith of what he could do. But then we have the other direction where God says, because of your great faith, I can do things. And so when the ruler comes to him and says, can you heal my servant? He says, um, um, yeah, I'll come. He says, no, 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 you don't. No, I guess I was the, the soldier. No, I'm a man under authority. I give orders, they get done. You have ultimate authority. You just give the order and it can be done. And, and what is Christ's response? Is there, there, I've not seen such great faith in all of my engagements here in all the earth. And so here's a man expressing faith. I trust you to do what you say. All you, I trust in your authority, that it, it's, it's farther than just your presence. Your authority can extend across miles and miles to wherever my home is from here. And so you just say the word, and it is that expression of faith in the authority of Jesus Christ that Christ was uh, extolling. This is... Uh, the evidence, and God says, I can do great things if we have faith, right? By faith, God works in our life. And that working of God is through the Holy Spirit. That's who worked in Jesus Christ's life. That's who works in the church today. That's who needs to be at work in your life. So when Jesus Christ goes, what does he tell everybody? He tells them in Acts 1.8, you're supposed to go to Jerusalem, wait. Because there you'll receive Holy Spirit. What will you get with Him? When the Holy Spirit comes and reduce someone in, in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
All right? And so we have the same power resident in us that Jesus Christ had resident in him and by which he did things. And that's why he could tell the apostles, you're going to do just as great a things as I do and even greater things. Because you have access to the same power that I have access to. The only limiting element is you and your faith. Do we really trust God Do we and your obedience? So Jesus Christ had perfect obedience and perfect faith. We don't have that. We work at obedience and we should be working at faith. Now, faith, let's, uh, the Bible defines it in Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, right? Hebrews 11. And so uh, James backs that up and says, if you want to, you can't say you have faith and not have evidence, substance. There should be, I can put my hands on something and say, there's your faith. I should be able to point to something. Uh, faith isn't this uh, empty or this uh, very spiritual thing, believing something it isn't, and just uh, is something in your life that isn't shown. Faith is evidenced through action. And that's why Hebrews 11 goes through all the things people did uh, in the Old Testament that was by faith. By faith they did this. By faith they did that. By faith they... And so they trusted in God more fully. And so faith is a matter of trust. So where does faith come from? Uh, we don't need more of it. The Bible doesn't say we need more. Jesus Christ says you just need the faith of us. You just need a little bit and you can do great things. So where does it originate from is the question. Where does faith come from? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, uh, tells us where faith comes from, right? Let's go ahead and read that. It should be a passage you know very well and should have memorized. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, that is that faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we have been saved through faith. Well, let's talk about the faith, lest you boast about your faith. Faith is not something you conjure up. Right? You, didn't, you can't create it, and you can't expand it. You have it, though. How do you have faith? Now, many scholars will go to this and say, this is salvific faith he's talking about. And the Calvinists will say, you see, you can't get saved unless God gives you the faith to trust in him. This verse does not say that. What this verse says is that faith, the faith that you should be placing in God, itself is not a work because it is not an exercise that you produce. It is something you direct. All right, so you have faith. All men have faith. It is a gift of God. And I will contend, and that's what I write in the chapter uh, very shortly, is that faith is tied to your will. It is a part of being man, that you have faith, and it is tied to being in the image of God that you have authority over your will and therefore you may choose what you believe and not believe and to what extent you believe and don't believe certain things. And so that's up to your will. So the connection of your will and your faith is intimately tied together. 
Both of those are gifts of God to you. You're created in his image. You have a will. You have a choice. You must choose. I can't choose for you. Your parents can't choose for you. Um, you must choose who you obey, who you will follow, who you will trust. So if faith is a universal gift, that is, that all men have this capacity. Okay? All men possess it. It is a gift of God. God granted it that all men can believe things. Now, it's no longer something I made. It's not, I didn't make my faith. Um, and so, remember when the disciples, I, I mentioned this in the chapter, when the disciples asked Jesus, increase our faith? And Jesus Christ is like, you don't need more faith. You have sufficient faith. The problem is, is where you direct that faith. And so, do you trust, you know, who do you trust? Where do you direct your faith? And I tell people there's a lot, you, you can see evidence that everybody has faith, right? They believe ridiculous things. When I look at what people believe in, and I'm like, I mean, all those people that go after the cults, and they believe it with all their heart, and I'm like, they're certainly sincere, right? And they, and they believe it with everything they have, but they're wrong. But they fully believe in it without even evidence. I don't know how. I could never be a Mormon. Because in the Mormon scriptures, it says that there were these huge civilizations on this continent um, many years ago that were the uh, exercising of the tribes, the ten tribes of Israel. And the Mormons believe all of that with zero, zero archaeological evidence. Zero. They have incredible faith to believe all that. We dig, and I mean, we built cities and farmed all over this country, and we haven't brought forth not one, not one city of ancient ruins to the nature of what was written uh, in the Mormon scriptures. I can go to Jerusalem everywhere you dig to come up with something. I can go visit those places and they're still there. And, and, and if you dig a little bit, if it's not there, you dig a little bit and you find out it's just right underneath the ground. You've been walking all over it, driving over it. Um, and so um, they have a lot more faith than I have because I have archaeological evidence to back up my faith in the scriptures um, and historical record. And, and so they obviously have faith. They believe something they haven't seen and can't touch. And they live according to it. And that's faith. But it is not faith in God, in Jesus Christ. They've redefined all of those terms uh, according to the writings of Joseph Smith. And so all men have this capacity of faith. And that is the limiting quantity in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit. He will only work in your life to the degree that you trust in Him. So you have the right, I would say the divine right. Divine, God has given you the right to choose what to believe and to what extent you want to believe. So, you can choose to believe. Am I going to believe 
God on this or I'm going to believe men? Am I going to believe God or am I going to believe Satan? Am I going to believe God or am I going to believe myself? And don't think that you can, that, that there's only one or the other because most of you have divided faith. You believe God to this point, and from that point, then you believe in the economist, or you believe in the scientist, or you believe in the doctor, you believe in the lawyer, you believe in yourself. Um, most of us have divided faith. So when we talk about um, our faith, we really need to talk about, Lord, we believe in you. Help the areas of my life that I don't believe in you. And that I gave, what was the text there for that in the chapter? If you have the chapter, do you have the text there for that? I didn't write it down here. Of the account of the man that asked that question, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I think it's in John. Might not be. Anybody find that? It's towards the end of the chapter. It's like the next to the last page. Mark 9, uh, 24. Mark 9, 24. Go to Mark 9, 24. This is a great statement, much better than the disciples' statement, increase our faith. And I hear Christians saying that. I'm like, well, that's not a biblical thing. Jesus, Jesus rebuked them for that kind of statement. But in Mark 9, 24, is a better statement. Let's back up into, because um, this, this whole passage is about faith. It's back up verse 14. It says, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him, and he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Uh, so I spoke to your disciples and they sh that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately his spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He said to him, If you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father child cried out loud, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, he, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast it out? So he said, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So we have this interchange about faith. And Jesus Christ says, You are a faithless generation. Does that mean they didn't have faith? No, they didn't have faith in what they should have faith in. They should have had faith in God. By what? exercise, by what power were the disciples trying to cast him out? We don't know, but it wasn't by faith in, in the Holy Spirit. Whether they believed in themselves, or they believed in these magic words, you know, we just want to replicate how we've heard Jesus say it before. And that's, been, that's going to be used in the book of Acts too, where some people go, in the name of the person, Jesus, that Paul preaches, I cast you out. 
And it's like, well, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know you. Right? The seven sons of Sceva get beat up and thrown out the door. And so um, we, we try to say, oh, I want to replicate the words and even the tone that Jesus used to cast out. Well, now you're believing in the methodology and not in Holy Spirit. There's a difference. And he says, you don't, you're faithless. And in the Bible, the assumption is that you have faith. And really, when it talks about faith, it's talking about trusting in God instead of all these others. And so here he says, you're a faithless generation. As you don't trust in God at all. You don't have divided faith. You have no faith in me at all. You should have at least a little faith. And so he goes to this man. He says, do you believe? What do he say? Do you believe? If you can believe, all things possible to him who believes. If you can believe. And he says, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I believe a little. Help me to believe more. You see, what he's saying is I have a divided belief system. I want to believe in you, and I believe this is the condition of most of us. We believe in God to a certain point. We have faith in him to save our soul, but not necessarily to help us in other areas of our life. We're going to take control of those. Or we're going to trust, like I said, other experts in society. Uh, we're going to trust men. And, and it's like, no, we can trust in the Lord for everything. We, all of our faith should be placed in him. And so we give everything to the Lord uh, in prayer. And so this man understood that he believed a little and he needed to believe more. He didn't need more faith. He needed to transfer his allegiance of his faith from one area to another. He needed to move and trust God more and trust these other things less. Essentially, if you can think of it as a big pie or pizza or something, you basically want to move more and more to the category of what I'm trusting in God and diminish how much you're trusting in yourself, others, this world, things like that. And, and so the, the work of Holy Spirit is limited by the degree that you trust in Him. So if you think of a circle being 360 degrees, that you have available to you. That's your piece of the pie, 360 degrees. Um, well, I trust God with 25 degrees, 30 degrees, 40 degrees. Well, what are you trusting with all the rest of your piece of pizza, with your pie? What do you, what are you trusting? Well, I'm trusting myself with 50% of this, and I'm trusting scientists with, I'm trusting economists, lawyers, I'm trusting politicians I don't know why you trust politicians with any of it, but people do. You believe them when they say, you know, this is the only way out of this. And it's like, really? Because I think God has better designs than yours. Uh, and so uh, over the course of my life, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the course of my life and part of Christian maturity is realizing I can't trust all these people I've been trusting. I can't trust scientists. I can't trust medical doctors. They only know what they've been taught. I don't trust them. If I trusted them, I would have gotten the jab and I would have done all the stuff they said to. And there's no way I trust them that much because I've learned over 
the course of my life, of, and I've watched over the course of my life where they said many years ago when I was young, oh, you do this to stay healthy, and then a few years later, no, you don't do that at all. You do this to be healthy, and then they go back, oh, no, you need, and they keep changing their mind. Well, truth doesn't do that, does it? Which means that they don't have knowledge of the truth. They're just putting out conjectures, but they're acting as though they're the authorities that know everything. I have an authority who knows it all. And that authority is God. And so I'm going to trust him more and more and more and more in my life. As that happens, it now enables God, the Spirit, to do more and more and more in my life and through my life. Because remember, Jesus Christ was fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit and in full obedience, yet he was limited by not only by not his faith, but by the faith of those he wanted to minister to. And this is another layer, completely another layer, isn't it? Because not only does your faith limit Holy Spirit's work in your life, the people you're trying to minister to, their faith might put limitations on your ministry. You never thought of that, right? You'll hear preachers use this term, I had great liberty to preach there. And old preachers used to say that, I had a lot of liberty to preach there. What do they mean by that? Really was not just attentiveness, but um, that, that there was a, a, a people of faith there that wanted to believe God's word. And as long as you communicated God's word, they were right there with you and ready to be obedient to it and responsive to it. Not just uh, nodding their heads in agreement or whatever, or yelling out amen, but they were ready to be obedient to it. And so we have this old term. And so it's not just your faith that can limit Holy Spirit. It's the faith of those you're engaging in trying to help that matters as well. Notice that Jesus Christ, perfectly obedient, perfectly surrendered, limited by the faith of those around him. So, I'm going to put it very personally right here tonight, okay? My capacity to preach is limited by your faith. Because I don't preach in my own power, wisdom, strength. I preach in the power, wisdom, strength of the Holy Spirit. It is vitally important that I am surrendered to Him and walk in obedience and that I trust Him, that, more, that, that the majority of my pie is trusting in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why I'm a better preacher today than I was when I was a young guy, because I trust God more than I ever have. And I distrust more of this world than I ever have. And... Um, and so that's absolutely necessary that the agent, the one who is serving, be submitted to the Holy Spirit, surrendered in obedience, and trust in Him. Absolutely necessary. But that is not the only limiting quantity. The other one is the faith of the recipients. Jesus had perfect surrender. He had perfect obedience. He perfectly trusted Holy Spirit, Right? but he was limited by the faith of those around him. I can't do good things in you because you don't trust in God. And this has frustrated many pastors. 
Why can't I get anywhere? Why can't we accomplish it? Why does it seem like we're just running in place? Well, if your people don't believe in God and they're following after uh, their lawyers, and I've had that happen in my ministry. I give them advice that's godly and out of Scripture. The lawyer gives them other advice. Who do they listen to? The lawyer. They believe the lawyer. They don't believe God's Word. Well, what does that do to my ministry? It diminishes it. It limits it. Now I know that for at least this one individual, that what I say from God's Word is not really trusted by them. That is, they don't believe it. They're here absorbing it, but they don't believe it, so I don't expect it to impact their lives. Because when it was put to the test in their life, they said, I'm going to follow my lawyer's advice, not my pastor's advice. I'm going to follow the legal manipulations they're doing instead of what God's Word clearly states. From that point on, my ministry to them changes. Because now I realize that my preaching can have no effect in them because they don't really believe it. What do they really believe? The lawyers. That's who they believe. And so now my ministry is limited. Every time we reject the principles of God's word, whether it has to do with your money, with your relationships, with your apparel, with your um, family, raising children, with your marriage, I mean, uh, with your work, every time we ignore God's word because other people say this, and we go to the uh, CPA and get advice from him, that's a certified public accountant, we go, well, they know how to handle money, and they've gotten other people rich, and they know the tax law and all that, and we disregard the mammoth amounts of information in the Bible about how to handle money. There is a, almost more about how to handle your money than anything else in the Bible. Um, and I ignore that, and I trust these people over here. Oh, they, they'll, I'll trust their investment advice. I'm not going to trust the advice of God's Word. Well, now I know that you don't have faith in God. And once we have that condition of heart and mind, it doesn't just affect you, does it? It means that my ministry and the ministry of your Sunday school teacher and any other godly person in your life is now limited by your lack of faith. So we have two things. When we get involved in ministry in the church, we have two limiting factors. The faith of the one ministering and the faith of the ones being ministered to. Both should be in agreement. Now, did this father in Mark chapter 9 believe? He brought his son to the disciples. He had some level of belief. He acknowledges it wasn't fully, but he did bring in the disciples. He's really disappointed that nothing could be done. And there was an argument going on around it, and... Um, and Jesus Christ comes up and interrupts that. And so the faith he's talking about in this one is the faith of the apostles. But please notice, both must come together. You must have both, or the work of the Holy Spirit is limited. So there's many a pastor 
who has been frustrated with a faithless congregation. That is, they don't obey what they hear from God's word. It goes in one ear, out the other one, and they really just believe whatever they hear on social media. They believe whatever society says is normative. They believe all these other things. They believe all these other entities. They don't really believe that God's word is true and authoritative. They'll do it their own way. They believe in themselves more than they believe in God and his word. And that frustrates the, the pastor. And now his ministry is necessarily limited by the faith of the hearers. Similarly, a church full of people of faith will be completely frustrated by a pastor who is not filled with faith. Are there such entities? Yes, plenty of them. I've met plenty of pastors who, they don't believe God's word. They'll, that's why they're going to all those seminars of, of uh, Saddleback Community Church and other ones that uh, have all these conferences. Come here, we'll show you how to, how to raise your church up and, and build it up, and, and we'll, you'll become a mega church in, in X number of months. And here's, here's our 12-step program to go from where you are to where you want to be. Uh, that is completely faithless. It is completely tied to uh, marketing, and, and uh, that's their number one thing they trust in is, is marketing. So you interview your community, you find out what they're looking for, you give them what they want, and then they'll come to you and, and you can fleece them. I mean, that's all it really is. And so people of faith in those churches are ushered out the door um, because they're being led by a man who doesn't really trust God's word. He doesn't think that ministering the truth to people's lives is the way to succeed, but rather following marketing strategies of the world is the way to succeed. So yes, it is possible for it, to, and it has infected, and I use that word, it is a disease, of faithlessness that infects the pulpits. So we all have to be careful. But all of this limits Holy Spirit's work. If Holy Spirit wasn't humble and, and, and subjected himself to your faith, you know, we could, we could just, boom, go out there and, and whoever's going to get saved, by God's design, is going to get saved, and we can all be full of faith and the Spirit can work unilaterally and do all these great things, and we can just sit back and relax and it doesn't matter um, because Spirit's going to do it all. Spirit overrides will of men. It overrides and provides faith. Then any, any lapse is his fault. Right? If there's no power in ministry, if there's no illumination to the, if we don't understand God's word, there's no illumination there, then it all is his fault. Well, it can't be. For he's the all-powerful God. But he will not do things in your life without your permission. And he, nor will he do things farther than you trust him to do it. You may say with your mouth, and that is part of your confession, you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart. Those are the twins, right? So you can say it, but you better believe it too. That's your faith. Here's your conscious choice. I'm saying with my mouth, but what do you really believe? And this is what James is asking. 
What you really believe is proven by your works, not by your confession. If you really believe God, then you would raise your children the way God says to raise your children, not the way the psychologists tell you to raise your children. Not the way the state says to raise your children. Not the way the schools say to raise your children. Because that would mean that you'd have to expose them to every ism out there, including transgenderism, and you'd have to expose them to all that. And that's what's going on in our country right now. They want to expose children, preschoolers and kindergartners, to horrific immorality. I don't trust them. You shouldn't trust them. I think pretty much all of your homeschooling kids. So I'm speak, preaching in the choir here. But we shouldn't trust them. We should trust God's word. And do it according to his word. How do I handle my finances? Yes, there are certain principles, but the principles of God's word transcend them all. But if you're not looking to God's word as your instruction manual for life, and you're not trusting in God, that's the extent of your faith. Don't sit there and say you have faith in God when every work in your life shows that you don't. That's why the Bible says be content based upon what principle? Your God will not leave you nor forsake you. If you really believe that God will never forsake you and never leave you, you should be content with whatever you have. He will take care of me. And if that means I'm going to be poor or wealthy, when I'm going to be you know, hungry or filled, and that's what Paul says in Philippians, right? In whatever state I am, I have learned to be content. Sometimes I have a lot, sometimes I have a little, but I am trusting in God all along the way. That's faith. And so um, the, when I worry, when I, when I try to follow schemes of men, uh, and I strive after things that, that I shouldn't, um, or that you know, the world tells me I should strive after, and God's word tells me don't strive after that. I didn't, in my morning message this morning, I didn't get to Luke chapter 12. I had that on my list of where we're going to go this morning. I didn't get there, and that whole demonstration is, you know, why are you worrying about things? Trust in the Lord. This is what is required if you want Holy Spirit to really be active in your life. You have to be a person of faith, and the people who you are trying to minister, they have to have at least a little of their faith directed towards Jesus Christ. That's at least a little, right? In Mark 9, if you believe, anything is possible if you believe in God is the implication there. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe a little, I need to believe a lot more. I, all people have faith, but do they have faith where it's supposed to be, where it should be, and that's in God, their creator. And so we want to have that. And so um, when people say, ask you to pray for them, uh, boy, that's a great invitation to ask them about what do they believe in. Right? 
you believe my praying is going to help you or hurt you, or what do you think? Well, I just want to cover my bases. That's basically what most of them want. I mean, we're going to go to the doctor, but I want you to pray for me too, and, and somewhere in between there. And it's, not that, and it's not that I'm never going to let you go to the doctor. I go to the doctor. Right? Um, it's the idea of, well, who do you trust? And not everything that the medical community is peddling is biblical and godly. And so we have to have discretion. That's why we have that um, bioethics statement, is because we don't believe everything they're telling us. We're not going to follow them blindly. You're going to use God's word as a lens to examine their claims and their advice. Is there some truth in their advice? Sure. There's truth in almost everything. Every lie Satan tells has truth in it. You know that, right? Every lie Satan tells has some truth in it, even the original one. You're not going to die. Was that true? You won't die if you eat of that. Well, it's true temporally. You can say you're not going to die for a year or 100 years or 300 years or 500 years. They didn't die. For hundreds of years, right? So that was true. Are they going to be more like God, having eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? We already studied that. Yes, that was true. God even acknowledged that that was true. Um, but the purpose was to entice you away from God. And so we have to be discerning about that. Of ferreting out the, the truth, just because they have a handle on the truth, doesn't mean they know what to do with it or that following them blindly is the right thing. So if we want Holy Spirit to be active in our life, it requires us to trust God more. He will not unilaterally work without your faith. But don't be surprised if you say, I just can't get anywhere with these people. I can't get anywhere with that family, with that contact, with, that, with this crowd over here. I can't get anywhere well, there's a reason why you can't get anywhere, and that's because they don't believe in any of what you're peddling. What we are offering them, they don't believe. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in, in, in truth, absolute truth. They don't believe in any of that. And so you're going to be frustrated. And that's why Jesus Christ says, well, if you believe, anything is possible. And what we need to confront people with is, what do you believe? When you ask, when you look at my life and you say, you know, you're a nice person, well, what do you believe? Why do you believe I'm that? Why do you think that is the case? Why would you ask me to pray for you? Well, what do you believe about that? And do you believe my praying is going to help you? Do you really believe in God? I mean, that's great invitation to discuss where their faith is. I said, how much do you believe in that compared to how much you believe all these other things? Because your actions tell me that you trust yourself, you trust this, you trust that, you trust social media influencers. How frightening is that? I'm going to tell you something else. Sixth graders trust eighth graders more than their parents. That's the reality of what's going on in our middle schools. Sixth graders trust eighth graders more than they trust their parents or their teachers. 
That's where their faith is in, in their social circle. And so, is Holy Spirit limited? Yes. How can that be if he's all-powerful? Because he humbles himself, he restrains himself, and says, I will only do as much as you allow me to do, and as you, plural, you all allow me to do. Can Holy Spirit do much in our church? as much as we let him. He will only do as much as we permit him to do. By surrender, by obedience, by trust. Do we really trust him? You guys have exercised, I think, some spectacular trust when the governor calls down and says, uh, no church this Sunday, and we had perfect attendance that week. Did you know that? And that began, what, two years of supposedly not having church, and we didn't stop. And most of you were all here because you trusted God rather than men. You were submissive to that authority above the authority of men. That if you make, you push that of which one we're going to trust in. We're going to trust in God and obey Him more than we trust in men and obey them, even if our lives are in danger because of it. Which wasn't really true, was it? It didn't endanger any of your lives to be here. And so, um, this is the limitation of the Holy Spirit. And if you say, I just don't know the Holy Spirit's in me or then my question isn't about Holy Spirit, it's about you. Do you really believe? Put your confession, give it some feet like James tells you to do, and put your faith to work. Do things that only people of faith do because they trust in God instead of men. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for time spent in your word. We again thank you for your spirit within us and the offer of that. His convicting work in men that we studied a couple weeks ago, Lord, we, that, that you do against men's will, but respond to men's will. But we know that our faith and our how we choose to direct that faith, whether it be in you or in ourselves or others, uh, limits your work. And Lord, we pray that you might find us ready to trust you more and more. And that you might evidence your power and work in our midst um, because we simply open the doors to allow you in our lives and then those around us, especially within our church, that we might open the doors to allow you to work in our midst as a people. To your honor, praise, and glory. And it's Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.